There are four accounts of Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but there's only one account of the early church. And so Acts occupies a very special place in the New Testament, really an indispensable place in the New Testament. Luke begins this chronicle through the early church with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in what John Stott called the honeymoon period of the spirit-filled community. It's like chapter three up till chapter about eight is the honeymoon period of the early church. When you read the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, the letters to the seven churches, those are um, early churches that uh, really have their history in the book of Acts. Um, But uh, some scholars see those seven churches as like a broad panorama of church history. And it begins in Revelation two with the church in Ephesus and that that would be the early church. And it's kind of a little picture of the early church. In fact, Ephesus means darling. And so when the early church was in her darling stages, uh, she was kind of like the church in Ephesus, like loving what was true, hating what was false, loving what was holy. Uh, But the problem was in all that love, Jesus rebuked them and said, you've left your first love. And so uh, the early church was in the honeymoon period, but it wouldn't be long, like, you know, around 70 AD that they've already come to a place where they've left their first love. Um, Calvin, John Calvin, called the book of Acts a kind of vast treasure. And Martin Lloyd-Jones referred to it as that most lyrical of books. And the Christian ought to live in that book. I exhort you, it is a tonic, the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the Spirit. And so um, I encourage you guys, be, be those that read the book of Acts regularly. Like if you're in a Bible reading plan, maybe you read the Bible once a year or something like that, but really let the book of Acts be a once a year at least experience for you. Um, It's been a practice of the early Christian church in every century since uh, to take time to study the book of Acts and to seek to recapture something of its confidence. John Stott said, recapture something of its confidence. The early church's enthusiasm, vision, and power At the same time, we must be realistic. There is a danger lest we romanticize the early church, uh, speaking of it with bated breaths as if it had no blemishes. But then we would miss the rivalries, the hypocrisies, and the immoralities, and the heresies which trouble the church then and now. And so as we start reading through the book of Acts, we're going to see, you know, um, chapter... Uh, five, you know, and we're going to see Ananias and Sapphira. Like, what went on there? <laughs> you know, uh, we're going to see uh, the complaint of the Hellenists, you know, and how they complained when the neglect of them during the serving of tables, you know, and things like that. Just things that are ugly sometimes, things that are just what we get when we are in a community with one another. And how do we navigate some of those tough or immoral situations? Um, 
So we read uh, verse one. I'll just read it for the sake. We're just going up to verse eight here. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so, um, man, that's a, that's a beautiful verse. We went into that last week and we actually kind of hopscotched or leapfrogged in this chapter. We studied a little bit about what Jesus did when he was resurrected and we studied the ascension a little bit. And that's, that's a little bit of a leapfrog in the narrative here. But during the, there was this 50 day waiting period between the, uh, resurrection of Jesus and the day of Pentecost. And the disciples weren't loafing around, uh, being lazy, sitting around, you know, twiddling their thumbs during that time. Uh, they received their great commission from Jesus after they hung out with them for 40 days. They watched him do many infallible proofs. They saw Jesus go to heaven. Uh, they persevered together in prayer, waiting for the spirit to come. We're going to see that later on in the chapter today. And they would do some business, uh, do some housekeeping. They are going to end up replacing Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, with um, Matthias, that 12th apostle. Looking at verse 4, being assembled together with them, he, that's Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So Jesus is resurrected. He's been hanging out on the earth for 40 days. All sorts of just things that he's been doing have just been proving that he is alive and he's really who he said he was. And for those 40 days, like he did that. And then finally he said, okay, I'm going to give you a commission here, a commandment as the church. I want you to go back and I want you to hang out in town for a little while. I want you to hang out in the city of Jerusalem and... I want you to wait. I want you to wait on the Lord. And by the way, waiting on the Lord is a very biblical principle. You know, some of your favorite verses probably are, you know, on a painting in your house with a big bald eagle that says, those who wait on the Lord, right, shall renew their strength, run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. You know, they shall mount up with ings uh, like did I say wings? wings? What did I say? Ings like weagles. <laughs> it's been a long day. Uh, I didn't even do my vocal warm-ups before. I, 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 okay, now we're ready to go. Uh, and so waiting on the Lord, such a biblical principle. We are going to see throughout the book of Acts this in place. And that's one reason, you know, as, an, as the early church was a church that prayed, we want to be a New Testament church that prays. We want to be a church that has prayer meetings and is okay being together for the purpose of prayer. And sometimes it's quiet and that's okay. We're just waiting on the Lord. Maybe the Lord will impress us on something or, or give a spiritual gift. We'll get into the gifts later. Um, give us a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, encouragement, uh, comfort towards each other, correction, you know, whatever. And, and just when you wait on the Lord, you're giving place. We live in a day and age, it might not be as much as, it, or it might be similar to what was back then, you know, but we're just going. We always got, we got stuff stacked. We got schedules to keep, you know, that's why they made fast food restaurants. It's like in and out, give me what I need, you know, and, and so like, hey, 
something about taking some time and just let the Lord lead you on how long that time is. Maybe it's 15 minutes. Maybe it's an hour. And just waiting on the Lord. And Jesus said, I want you to wait. And they did a good example of waiting, I think. About 10 days of just kind of waiting. Uh, but they did just see Jesus rise from the dead. And they did just watch him ascend into heaven. And he and the angels did just say, get your booty to town and wait. And so there was a little bit of motivation there, right, for them to wait. Uh, now, remember, this is Luke writing this, but Luke also says it in his gospel, Luke 24, 49, where he says, Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Okay, so what were they doing waiting around? There was specific purpose in this. They were waiting for what's called the promise of the Father. Now, wait a minute. We're here with Jesus. What do we need to wait around for? He's right here. There's more. You believe that? That there's more than just that Jesus would be sitting? Like, he has a plan in fact, he says it in the Gospel of John. It's better that I go away. It's better that Jesus goes away. What could be better than... Be? He says, because when I go away, then I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And he said, he, and we're going to get in there. I'm totally jumping. In fact, it's the very next verse. So, okay. Let's get, John 14, 16 is the next verse I was going to read to you guys. So he says, it's better that I go away. And he says, verse 16, and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it either neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you and will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. All right. So it's better that Jesus ascends. And you go back to Jerusalem and you wait for the promise of the Father because I'm going to pray to the Father and he's going to send the Holy Spirit who will be with you, who will be in you. And Rory's paraphrase here, if you don't mind, you're going to go out and all y'all are going to be Christians, which means little Christs. You're going to represent Jesus. And so Jesus, he's at one place at one time there in Galilee, there in Jerusalem, but when all of us are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to go out and everywhere we go, the presence of Jesus is there. Because the Holy Spirit is in us and with us, okay? We're going to end up coming back later to that verse. But a few things there. Wait for the promise of the Father. We're going to be studying something today called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it's a little bit of a spoiler alert because it's in a couple verses that he actually uses that phrase. But the promise of the Father is another phrase that's synonymous with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's something that Jesus had talked about before. He talked about it there in John 14, 16, where uh, that Lucas just put up there. And in 14, 25, where he says, These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Uh, we're getting just, it's a little subconsciously here. I, I didn't put together like a just a study on who the Holy Spirit is in my notes today. 
But see, that's called um, pneumatology, by the way, P-N, pneumatology. <laughs> you, do the, you do the math, okay? And it's the study of the Holy Spirit, okay? And so we're seeing a little bit, okay? So uh, he's the promise of the Father. Uh, he's, he's going to be with us, sent from heaven. He is going to be with us, in us. Uh, we just read, he will teach you all things. That's something the Holy Spirit does when he comes in and upon us and he will help us remember stuff. And so do you ever feel like you just, man, I don't remember like anything that I'm reading in the Bible or anything about Christian doctrine or the, like, ah, it's like, man, pray that the Holy Spirit will bring these things to remembrance for you. John 15, 26 says when the helper comes. And so by the way, another name for the Holy Spirit is the helper. Um, you've heard of hamburger helper. Um, well, this is okay. No, never mind. Sorry, you can't start out a Bible study with roadkill stew and not use a hamburger helper illustration when you're talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So, something that the Holy Spirit—he's the Helper, and he will help you remember. He will. Um, Bring to remembrance everything that was said to us. He will um, be the spirit of truth. And so that's something that's comforting. When the Holy Spirit's around, he is going to be making sure that truth is, is paramount, that truth is evident. And in that truth, the Holy Spirit will testify of Jesus. That's one of the Holy Spirit's job description is to make sure that Jesus is being talked about. That Jesus is being told. So whenever the gospel, and I'm not talking about weird Jesus, right? Because there's a lot of like, funny, I don't know how you learn that. You know, that's not any Jesus that I've ever read about from the Bible. Um, you know, you study the cults and they just get wiggity whack. Okay. Um, to spend a little time and read about David Koresh from Waco. And homeboy, you know, was reading about a different Jesus and thought he was a different Jesus for a little bit. You know, and, and so... Make sure it's from the Bible, and whenever the Jesus from the Bible is being preached, you know that the Holy Spirit is there moving, um, and uh, he will testify of me. And then in the next chapter of the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 33, this is Peter preaching about Jesus when Jesus ascended and was exalted to the right hand of God, having received the, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out this, which you now see and hear. So that's happening on the day of Pentecost. So we have this, the promise of the father. So Jesus says, go wait in Jerusalem, tarry in Jerusalem. I am going to endue you with power from on high. Luke 24 tells us, or Luke's gospel tells us. So go wait. The promise of the father is the promise of power from the Holy Spirit. Um, we see the Trinity in passages like this, because we have Jesus talking and we have the Holy Spirit going to be sent. He's the helper, the comforter, the one who come alongside, the one who brings to remembrance and helps testify of Jesus and brings truth. But we have the father even in this. So we have the father and the, the father gives the Holy Spirit to Jesus so that Jesus can send the spirit. It's this really Trinitarian um, action that's being performed where you have 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all God, all equal, yet distinct or different in personalities, in function, in job description. And, um, and so when you read the New Testament, you see uh, the Son deferring to the Father, submitting voluntarily, even though they're equally glorious, equally God, equally splendorous. <laughs> Alan? <laughs> nope. Okay. <laughs> Alan and I were talking the other day like, hey, just call on me anytime you need help with words. Okay. Uh, that was an exact quote, wasn't it? Okay. Um, so like, for instance, you know, you have Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane saying, hey, if there's any other way then maybe I don't have to go to the cross, then uh, that'd be awesome. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's a picture of marriage Husbands and wife, absolutely equal in value and worth and beauty. And sometimes the wife is even smarter and, you know, better and all those things, you know. And yet there's order, created order in marriage and in different roles. We submit to one another in all sorts of different ways. And in the Trinity, there's voluntary submission. The Son to the Father, the Holy Spirit. Man, did he get the bad role? You know, like, oh, I see how it is. Oh, I get to just be the helper. You know, they're going to make jokes about him or helper about me in 2,000 years. This is great. You know, I guess I'll just go down there and help these, you know. And, and yet the Holy Spirit, he has this great role of sharing the gospel, testifying of the gospel, where man is reconciled to God. Man is reconciled to the Father, reconciled to the Son, reconciled to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... This is a little bit of like school of ministry, but maybe not quite as organized. That's all right. <laughs> and so Jesus is going to go on in verse five, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about what this promise of the father is. Verse five, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And so when Jesus is talking about the promise of the father, he is going to use the phrase baptism, okay? And so we might think, oh, baptism. Well, then I, I was baptized with water. And so that's when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus brings a distinction for us when he says, okay, I know what you're thinking. He says, John truly baptized with water. Uh, there was a man and he baptized with the element of agua, <clears throat> all right, for the purpose of showing the world I've repented of my sins, okay? And it's a picture of what's happening on the inside of you, that your sins are washed away, that you're, there's a cleansing that's taken place, okay? Um, now, the distinction is that the promise of the Father is a baptism, but it's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And in the baptism with the Holy Spirit, you have Jesus, baptizing with the agent of the Holy Spirit. Jesus isn't baptizing with water in this case. He's baptizing with the person of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose is, we're going to see it in verse 8. We're going to see it all throughout the book of Acts. The purpose is primarily so that we would be bold and courageous and brave in telling people about Jesus, even if it means that we die for it. Um, okay, so... There's baptisms. Now, people freak out about this, and rightly so. I mean, there's been some weird stuff. There's been some abuses. I've been a part of churches that have abused this, that have 
just totally like I literally have had a pastor be like, okay, guys, we won't be needing this today, you know, and they're just get weird, you know, and it's like, okay, no, let's bring this back out, okay, and let's make sure that however we are calling on the Holy Spirit or moving in the Holy Spirit, that it's founded upon this right here. Um, people, there's different denominations that kind of, some are way over here, some are way over here. And, um, and there's denominations that say, no, there's only one baptism. And they kind of go to, uh, what is it? Ephesians, you know, that there's one baptism. Okay. Um, but that's not true. Like the context to what Paul's talking about is that there's one baptism for the gospel. Okay. But when you read the new Testament, there's multiple different kinds of baptisms. In fact, the children of Israel going through the Red Sea is called a baptism. Um, there's the baptism of John with water. And then here you read it yourself, the baptism with the Holy spirit. Okay. This isn't a phrase that I've made up or, you know, we just got to try to move this agenda of Calvary chapel or Pentecostalism or charismania, you know, or something. Um, this is a phrase from the book of Acts from the mouth of Jesus himself. Don't be afraid of it. Say it. Don't, don't be afraid baptism with the holy oh gosh don't say it all the way you say it all the way you're never okay uh baptism with the holy spirit okay now each gospel and this church history book talk about the baptism of the holy spirit um matthew 3 11 john the baptist himself said I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I was raised Baptist, you know, and, uh, you know, there might have been a time in my life where I was kind of like, oh, you got to do it the Baptist way, you know? Uh, and then I've had a long history in Calvary Chapel, and so there may be a time in my life, oh, you got to do it the Calvary Chapel, <laughs> you know? If there was a guy that had, like, the corner market on being a Baptist, guess who it was? John the Baptist, right? And you think that he'd be like, wait a minute, you're going to come in here and tell me that there's going to be a different kind of baptism? <laughs> you know, like, there, this is the only one, you know? But no, he says, hey, guys, this has been great. And it has a purpose and the church should do it for all of church history. But there is one who's coming after me. He's mightier than I. I mean, John the Baptist just had, it was all about pointing things to Jesus. And he says, he's going to baptize, but not with agua, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so we're going to see in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in, in chapter two, that where there's the Holy Spirit, there's this picture of fire Purity, power, passion, dynamite, and, uh, and man, the Lord is a consuming fire. Okay, so John the Baptist said it in Mark chapter 1 verse 8. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3 verse 16. John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John chapter 1 verse 33. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts, we have it in our verse right here, but then in eleven sixteen, then I remembered the word of the Lord, 
how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so each gospel records John the Baptist declaring that there is another baptism and one with the Holy Spirit. And it's prophesied of in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Peter's going to use the same verse on the day of Pentecost to explain it. And it says, I shall, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Okay. So Jesus just said, go down and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the father, which you've heard from me. Okay. And then in verse six, so they hear that and they go, Hey, um, Lord, when are you, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And that's a fair question. Um, you know, something from like Isaiah and Micah is that when the kingdom is established, there will be a presence of the Holy Spirit there. So that's fair. Also, you know, he did just rise from the dead. So, I mean, seems like a champion to me and you know, might as well kick some Roman butt. You know, I don't know. Seems like a good idea. Um, but it's a pretty immature question that they're asking. Um, <clears throat> Calvin commented, there are many errors in this question as words. The verb, the noun, and the adverb of the sentence all betrayed doctoral confusion about this kingdom. And they kind of, I'm going to summarize in three points what the problem was with their question. They were expecting merely a territorial kingdom. They were expecting a national kingdom of only Israel. And they were expecting an immediate establishment of it. And so they were ignorant and immature in like the big picture thing that God was doing through the forgiveness of sins. And then the mission that was to go around the whole globe and not just benefit Israel. Okay. Um, and so Jesus says in verse seven, it is not for you to know the times or seasons, which the father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus's answer to their question about the kingdom is twofold. Number one, it's missional and it's eschatological, which means end times. Okay. So he had, Jesus' answer about the kingdom of God is that there's a mission that needs to be done and that it'll be wrapped up when the whole world has heard the gospel, okay? Um, so missionary and eschatological. Okay, so we're just going to break apart verse 8 here. Um, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the uh, promise of the Father or the baptism with the Holy Spirit or as Luke 24 puts it, you will be endued with power. Okay, that's really at the core of what the baptism with the Holy Spirit is. It's not that there's not other things that follow with it that we'll see as we go through the book of Acts, like the distribution of spiritual gifts. Um, but at the core and at the heart is this boldness and courage and power uh, to 
preach the gospel. So you shall receive power. Power in the Greek is the word dynamis. Okay. And it is where we kind of get, we're like my big fat Greek wedding where everything has a Greek, um, <laughs> you know, spray Windex on it and also has a root word in Greek, right? So dynamite, okay, speaks of power, explosive power. And Jesus says, you know, hey, you guys that were cowards and denied me and ran away from me in the garden and you've just always been like just scatterbrained and weak. Um, man, between seeing me resurrected from the dead and having the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit come upon you, you guys, you 12 guys are going to be a force that will change the world. Okay. Um, so you are going to receive dynamis, which speaks of ability, mighty deed and strength. Vance Havner put it, I, I lost my Acts chapter one notes that I've taught through the book of Acts many times and just don't know where my book of Acts chapter one through like two notes are. So, um, but I do remember Vance Havner speaking about, he said, we shall change this world, not through like energy and trying to change it and conform it. And can't remember how, like kind of the external language that he used, but we will change the world through a combustion from the inside out, you know, and it was just a great picture of, when the Holy Spirit's doing a work, we're kind of like the atom bomb as the church. Like we will do a work of love and grace and mercy and, and telling the truth of who Jesus is, that it's just going to, it's going to boom and spread throughout the rest of the world. Okay. Now you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay. Um, real quick, some pneumatology here. Okay. The Holy Spirit is a person. Chuck Smith wrote a book called Living Water. It's a great book on the Holy Spirit. It's a great book on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they function in the church today. But um, I, I remember that like the first chapter of his book, Living Water, is called Personality Plus. Uh, because the Holy Spirit is a person, and I don't mean like he's a human being. I mean, you know, we call God the Father. There's personality God the Son has personality. God the Holy Spirit has personality. He's not a force, okay? Uh, and you know, you watch Star Wars and you're kind of like, it's totally a picture of the Holy Spirit, you know? But, but the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force of just like, like a magnet or something, you know? Uh, or electricity, you know? The Holy Spirit, uh, the, re the reason I love to say personality plus is um, he has feelings, he can be grieved. Uh, he can have give joy. He has a job description, some of which we've read here today, bearing witness of the truth, helping. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, he distributes gifts as he wills. Um, by the way, being a person and not a force, something that we've got to kind of discipline ourselves and train ourselves is that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we don't call him an it. You know, I mean, your spouse just loves it when you refer to her as it, right? Like the old ball and chain, you know what I'm saying? Okay, just kidding, kidding, kidding. Uh, you know, no, he, he is the Holy Spirit. He is God. He can be quenched. He can be grieved. He can give joy. He, ha you know, and so he has personality and role. Okay, so. I think a lot of, because of the abuses um, and misunderstanding and misinterpretation of the Holy Spirit, 
um, in many of the charismatic or charismaniatic churches. And hey, I'm Calvary Chapel. We like to call ourselves charismatic, but with a seatbelt. Okay, the seatbelt of the Word of God. Like we want to be tethered so that we're not just like, you know. Um, and I'm not talking a bungee court, <laughs> bungee jumping. Okay, um, we don't want to get that close to the river before we, you know, we just we want to be tethered to the Word and we want to be grounded in the Word. And so we are charismatic, but we want to be biblically charismatic. Okay, and so if you've been afraid of the Holy Spirit because of past experiences, I just want to say, I think the Lord wants to bring healing of that in your life. Or if you're afraid of the Holy Spirit because of past experiences, or I mean, every one of us probably has had just weirdo experiences. I have myself. Okay. Um, but the abuse does not take away proper use. Okay. Um, and it's just like everything that God calls us to, there's all sorts of abuses. Husbands abuse their wives. Wives, likewise, you know, uh, pastors abuse flocks, um, kings abuse their people, you know, and yet we want to obey the Lord and all the different things that he's calling us to, right? Okay. Now you'll receive power, dynamite power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I want to emphasize this word upon here in verse eight. Okay. It's the Greek word epi and it means toward or onto okay and i want to give you three different uh works that the holy spirit does in the life of the christian uh throughout their journey okay and maybe even a non-christian okay um and there's three different greek words that are used to describe where the holy spirit's at in any given person's life the first word i want to teach you is the word para in the greek and it's, it means with, okay? So the Holy Spirit is with you. Now, this can even refer to non-Christians that the Holy Spirit is convicting of sin and trying to draw to himself, okay? Um, in John 16, 8, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, we don't have the word para there in that verse, but this would be an example of, what the Holy Spirit's doing when he's with even a non-believer. He's in the world, he's with the world, and he's bringing conviction for sin, that there's sin, that there's a righteous God, and that you'll be judged one day. Uh, John fourteen seventeen, he's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he will dwell, for he dwells with you. Okay, so there's that para. Okay, so... Um, that's just quickly the first just way that the Holy Spirit interacts with the world. But then it's also in verse 17 that, that we have the next word. And it's the word in the Greek, N, E-N, or in, okay? He dwells with you, para, and will be in you. And so part of the New Testament, New Covenant, after Jesus ascended to the Father on that John chapter 7, on that great day of the feast, he stood up and talked about the Holy Spirit going through you with like torrents of living water. But he said, but it won't happen yet because I have to ascend to my father first. So he ascends and then he says, okay, now he's coming in you. Okay. So he will be in you. It's the end that we see from Ephesians 1 13 that the, it says at the end of verse 13, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And this is usually when I've got a nice little um, show and tell for you guys. Okay. 
and you're gonna have to use your imagination. So normally what I do when I'm teaching high schoolers is I have like a cup, okay, an empty cup. And that is you without Jesus, okay? And then I bring a pitcher along full of living water, right? It's the Holy Spirit. And he's right there next to you. He's convicting you of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's with you and will be in you. And then we come to that second part. And I usually fill the cup up to the tippy top to where it's almost spilling over. And that is when he comes in you. And I remember this from seventh grade science class that on the top of water, there's like this seal. Anybody know what it's called? Surface tension. Anybody know the the name of that surface tension? That like if you have a glass and you can see this, like a contact lens looking thing, it's called the meniscus, okay? Maybe I'm making that up. It has been been since seventh grade. Normally I'm pretty right on it, but Alan, what? Okay, good, okay, we got Alan. Alan for 200. Okay. Uh, Okay, so now that's sealed. And what's amazing is you can like kind of wiggle that glass and it kind of like, you know, that surface tension will kind of, and it's sealed that glass. It's kind of an amazing thing, that surface tension. And it's just a picture, might break down eventually, but of the Holy Spirit sealing you. And the New Testament also says that he's a guarantee of your salvation. Okay. So whenever you're just doubting, like, ah, doubt, I'm, and it's like, then the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to speak that guarantee in your salvation. And then we come to the third, and this is not exhaustive per se, but the third role or relationship that the Holy Spirit has on the Christian. And it's, we do see it in the book of Acts chapter one, verse eight. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now in John chapter 21, Jesus was still on earth. And he's talking to the disciples. This is after he resurrected from the dead. And it says he looks at them and he breathes on them. And he says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So do you think when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit and went, you know, it's probably very, had a cert in his mouth, you know, and he breathed on them. Do you think they received the Holy Spirit? Just kidding. <laughs> okay, no, of course they received the Holy Spirit. And I personally believe that that was for them when they, they received the N, um, the N dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then that it's this day, that's what they're waiting for, that they will receive the upon of the Holy Spirit or the epi. Let's just look at a few verses in the book of Acts where we're going to see later the epi, okay? Uh, Acts 2, 3. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Okay, so the tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit of, you know, and picture of fire uh, is upon them. Acts 8, 16. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, for they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They'd only had a water baptism. Acts chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. Acts eleven fifteen. as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. He's referencing Cornelius and he's referencing the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 19, verse six, when Paul laid his hands on them, 
the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Okay, so we have epi throughout the book of Acts, the epi pen, you know, the, the upon. Now, I just got to say this, okay? That as I teach this and as we go through this, just note humility, okay? Um, like there are guys in Christianity and gals that love Jesus that wouldn't agree with, with where I'm taking this, okay? And that's okay. Like they're still brothers and sisters and I don't want to be unduly dogmatic. Um, some of my favorite pastors uh, would probably lean a different direction than me, but there's freedom in that. This is what we would say is an open-handed issue. And, and so here's some of the belief in it. Some of the belief um, is that at the moment of salvation, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit and it's just this one-time thing, okay? Um, or some might say at the moment of baptism with water is when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I would say, and, I, and note this as we go through the book of Acts, I would say, and this is a Calvary Chapel understanding, that God is not in a box when it comes to when he pours out the Holy Spirit on a Christian. In fact, the word epi or come upon, uh, you'll, you'll see the word filled with it and they were filled. And in the Greek, it's in the tense that means continually filled. So I believe that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a continual just filling outpouring. It's that torrents of living water that Jesus talks about and it just continues and it continues. And that there's times in a Christian's life where we draw back. There's times that we become dry and there's times that we need to wait on the Lord again and we'll receive power. It's crazy because in Acts chapter two, they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And by Acts chapter five, after having been persecuted and standing up for the Lord, I don't know if they're discouraged. I don't know if they're a little dry after that. It's just been rough. They were victorious, but they go to a prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit falls upon them again. The exact same language is used to speak of continual filling. Um, there's times in the New Testament where people are baptized with the Holy Spirit in the middle of Peter's sermon, like Cornelius's household, baptized with the Holy Spirit in the middle of the sermon and they hadn't like raised their hand and said a sinner's prayer. They are going to go be baptized with water after this. And so Cornelius, it's like a, whoa, like kind of just blows you out of the box. There's um, Ephesians guys in Acts chapter, I think it's 18, 19, um, where they had only like heard about John and were kind of disciples of John. And Paul's like looking at their life and he's like, you guys don't have a lot of like power did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're like, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit, you know? And so, you know, and sometimes he lays hands on them. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes it's in the middle of the sermon. I think you'll see as we go through the book of Acts that like, there's not really a formula, but there is order. Okay. Um, and so just with all of that, we just see just for today's, we're just in step one, that there is a baptism with the Holy Spirit for Christians and maybe it happens that the day you get saved or, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I don't got a problem with that. You know, um, I tend to see more like it's as you wait on the Lord and it's a continual thing. Um, but I'm just humble in that. And there's not really a need for undue dogmatism, except that I would just say there's times when we feel dry. And, and if you were honestly to ask a brother or a sister, like, when you see me, like, what's my walk with the Lord like? And then you'd be like, 
homeboy, you dry, you know, <laughs> and you can just be like, I'm just, man, I need to go spend some time with the Lord, you know, um, or it's at the prayer meetings that we have as a church that we see just fresh power given or musters, you know, and women's retreats and just things where we go away to seek the Lord for more power. Now, um, I'm going to wrap it up and we're not going to get to the choosing of the, the 12th disciple. Um, but, but the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not primarily, and, and I would actually say is not at all, for getting goosebumps on the back of your neck. Like, you know, like, okay. No, I just don't see that in the scripture. Not that it never happens, not that it never happens that you don't have an emotional response or, or an ecstatic, excited experience, okay? But biblically, it's for boldness, okay? And here we have it. I mean, it's the key verse of the book of Acts, and it's Jesus talking about, and when he's talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, he's not talking about even the gifts. That'll come later in the epistles and whatnot, but he's talking about boldness, and he says, you have power and you will be witnesses to me. Now the word witness is the Greek word stud muffin. No, I'm kidding. I mean, you would think that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a Billy Graham or I'm going to be a Greg Laurie and I'm going to get a microphone and there's going to be a stage and a whole coliseum of people. You know, and like, wow, you're going to have a Twitter account. You're going to have an Instagram, Snapchat, all those things. It's going to be incredible. That's not what it is in the Greek, just in case you thought that's what it was. It's martyro. Which? Martyr, right? You will have power and you will be martyrs for me. That's what a witness is. 99% of the time, those that are witnesses are the ones that are going to be beaten, flogged, ostracized, kicked out of their family, have appendages chopped off like kicked out of their synagogues all of these different that, that's true witnessing and uh you know if you've ever seen the band of brothers series about the 101st airborne um you're gonna want to have your remote control and fast forward certain scenes but you can also read the book and in the book it mentions this guy named albert Blythe, who on d-day jumped out with the 101st airborne went into combat against the germans but when he landed on d-day he was so scared that he hid in a ditch for like two days. He saw no combat. He just hunkered down and couldn't move. And finally, he makes his way uh, back to his unit. He finds his guys and they're like, hey, where were you? You know, we were over here and at Carentan and this and that and the other. And he's like, oh. he's like, honestly, I just was hiding. I was so scared. And so they end up being in the Battle of Carentan. And, and the story is that he's sitting in this pit on a rainy night in France and he's so scared. And he looks up and he sees Ronald Spears, who's just this brave, courageous leader of dog company who's just going through it. You know, and he's just like, and he, and he like kind of grabs Lieutenant Spears and he says, how do you do it? How are you so brave? I can't even move. In fact, um, in fact, I kind of jumped the gun, but the story was that he got hysterical blindness while he was in the middle of the war and he couldn't see. And they say, sometimes when you're so scared, you just go blind. You, you can't see. And he ended up having his sight come back and going into battle. And he asked Ronald Spears, how do you do it? How do you, how are you so brave and af not afraid to die? 
And Spears said, you know what your problem is? You think there's still hope. You think there's still hope. And the minute that you realize you're already dead, then you can start functioning like a true soldier. You can go out there and you can start fighting for your brothers next to you in the foxhole. You can start taking ground because you know you're already you're already dead. You've counted that cost. But if you're still trying to hold on, and Jesus said it, right? Those who seek to keep this life will lose it. And so it's just a picture. Jesus is saying here, the Holy Spirit's going to help you to just realize, guys, we're going to get laughed at down here at the Palm Oil Club. You know, we're going to get laughed at at the branding trap. We're going to get laughed at, you know, at work. Just wherever we're at, people, I mean, and really for Americans, that's about as bad as it gets. Like, oh, no, don't laugh at me. You know, and, or you might have an arm cut off or you might be flogged or you might be kicked out of your family. And Jesus says, do you feel like a chicken when it comes to opening your mouth about me? You need more of the Holy Spirit. You need the continual filling and you will have boldness. Okay. Um, we're, we are wrapping up, right? 530. Okay. We got, it's 526 and a half and by 530 we'll be done. Okay. But the part B of this text is the, is the really the end times part of it. So it's missional, but in the, it's also got this end times aspect of it. You'll be a a martyr for me in Judea, which is locally in Jerusalem, the city that they're in. And then regionally in Samaria, which by the way, was hated by them. They hated Samaria, Uh, but you're going to go to the hated spots and to the ends of the earth. And really this is a, this is a table of contents or an outline to the rest of the book. Okay. So if you're thinking the book of Acts is so long, 28 chapters. Break it up according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Okay? In chapters 1 through 7, the first part of the book, we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the apostles in Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 through 13, we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Samaria. And then chapter 13, and maybe you might even say like 9, 9-ish, because that's when Paul kind of comes on the scene. But let's say 13, the missionaries first are called. Uh, all the way to Rome at the end of the book. And so it's broken up like that, just like this outline tells us. I like that the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, you see like everyone will come to Jerusalem and know the Lord. Everyone has to come up. And because of the rebellion of the Jews, that never happened. And so now in the new covenant, it's going to be the opposite. Now it's everybody here filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you out to everybody. And I like how it was John Stott that said, there was, and he was quoting a guy named Blog, and it was, there was a centripal missionary consciousness in the Old Testament. Centripole, I'm guessing. Making that up, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it was switched to centrifugal. So it's tossed out from there to the rest of the world. And um, and that's all I got for today. A little bit early, actually. So, I, you know, Alistair Begg, if you know me, you know he's like one of my favorites, right? Scottish guy. I got to have dinner with him and hang out with him. We went for a little walk. I told him my name and he goes, Rory Rogers, I'll never forget that, you know? <laughs> then I called him up the other day. He's like, who? <laughs> um, 
But, uh, so he would probably be more of, um, I'd say, really conservative on this topic. Maybe wouldn't call himself a cessationist. Uh, cessationism is kind of... Uh, like, just believe that the gifts aren't really for today. Specifically, the, the sign gifts, okay? Um, that, that when the Bible was given, that kind of replaced that. I wouldn't say he's gone that far, um, necessarily. But when I've heard him teach through the book of Acts, he's, you know, you're not going to hear kind of what I've said through him. And that's okay. But what he does say is this. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know? And he says, whenever it happens... I want it. And whatever it is, I need it. And I think that's the heart that, that we should have. So instead of like, oh, 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 you know, it should be like, okay, if the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens the moment of salvation, like my wife, Lindsay, was saved in the bathtub with her mom when she was a little girl. Like my wife was baptized with the Holy Spirit in the bathtub. Okay. Has her life shown like this? Not up until later on in her life. But maybe the Lord was doing something. I don't know. Um, but I would just say, just have a heart that's like, does my life show like I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Because if I have been, then Lord, do it. Like, what's going on? Okay? And I think that song that we sang today, There Must Be More Than This. Like, I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? and. Why am I such a chicken, you know? <laughs> uh, or why am I just don't even care? Or, you know, my friends, if they were honest, they'd say, you're dry, man, you're dry. And so um, it's just, if you're willing, then during this song, um, man, just ask for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's so much to say. I'm not even going to go on anymore. But remember what Jesus says, that a good father knows how to give good gifts. How much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so ask him today. There was no one drier than me than Rory Rogers in eighth grade, seventh and eighth grade, very carnal, cussing up a storm in school, just mad at everyone playing basketball at lunch, like total playa, if you know what I mean. No, I'm trying to... <laughs> Couldn't get a date if I wanted to. Okay. Uh, uh, really only going to church because my girlfriend was homeschooled and it was the only place we could see each other, you know? And just, it was lame. And Christianity was lame. It was boring. I was not baptized with the Holy Spirit when I was a kid. I don't think. But I know when there was a time in my life where that changed and he gave me a passion for evangelism and like even if it meant my death. And so, and if you desire that, just ask the Lord for that. And,